0: Hey, with my words. Hey, you know all the things about your socioeconomic status that you're secretly hiding beneath all of the the bourbon and all the and you know yelling at me and throwing stuff at me and jean shorts. Yeah, I'm just gonna take that all up and dissect it like I was T. S. Eliot.
1: Hello and welcome to Chapel Bell Curve stats focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin and I'm Nathan and today we're going to review the crazy Mississippi State game we all just experienced Uh, but before we really really get into it we have a thing we really wanted to talk to you guys first about and it's uh, you may have seen it already it's on our website it's on Twitter um, all over all the places you can receive our content but it's something we're calling two-minute drills. Um, I think Nathan can definitely lead up a bit more because it's kind of his baby.
0: Yeah so basically the impetus for this was that We just have a lot of content. We have a lot of things to say about the University of Georgia and the University of Georgia football. And not all of it is going to fit in two 30 to 45-minute episodes in a given week. And, you know, we found a very good website via our friend Tony Waller at Tyler Dogden on Twitter uh, from waiting since last Saturday called Anchor, Mm -hmm. um, which allows us to do short, sort of really quick, informal, five-minute podcasts for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to publish all of these where they're going to be on our homepage, they're going to be on our Twitter. I'll be constantly annoyingly retweeting them and putting them on Instagram <laughs> and everywhere. But you can also just go to anchor.fm and search Chapel Bell Curve. Mm-hmm. Um, we will also put up a separate RSS feed. That's a little bit more complicated than the way, you know, than just having one RSS feed for everything. We want this to be something that you elect into. Because this is very much going to be deep divey stuff that, as of right now, is just me on my way to work in the morning, in the car, talking about what I liked from the formations that UGA ran. Mm-hmm. That level of stuff. I'm going to use it to, um, I think, just basically as an audio guide to reading through my play-by-play observations that I talk about uh, every time when I do the stats report. I think I'd, I'd like
1: to use it for my own purpose. Saturday mornings, for me, are like usually very quiet and reflective because I'm usually having to go to work that day or something, and I don't have anybody else to kind of get excited about UJ football with. And so I'd like to use it for that and talk through what I'm thinking and
0: what's going on in my world and what I'm excited to see about that day. And I think what we're also going to do is, in terms of – Maybe stuff that might get people a little bit more excited is we are going to, I think, do some of these through the game weekend. Yes, um, we'll hit you with one Friday night. We'll hit you with one Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Tennessee. I'm sure I'll hit you with one from that big old Erector side of a stadium. Um, and they're just going to be like, like he said, just whatever's on the mind. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of this I think is in response to the fact that. Uh, we make predictions and then we have different feelings as the week goes on, different things happen. So, this will allow us to really get you the most up to date on the most stats that we possibly can so that everyone, can, everyone who listens to this can just be the most informed UGA fan possible. Absolutely. Okay. It's going to be sort of a captain's log, and I'm very excited about that. Yes, me too. I, I, I don't want to start it, but part of me wants to start it. Now that we got that behind us, we wanted to do that first because it's something that we really want to get some traction because we think it's a really good idea that can serve a lot of you guys. But now that we have that, let's talk about, obviously, our entree. That was our little aperitif. Let's talk about the Mississippi State game. So, um, you know, our normal order of things is that we start with our experiences. So let's talk about how the day went, what it was like to experience the game, what it was like to go through the process of doing it. So why why don't you talk... First, yeah absolutely awesome. so
1: saturday morning was a really
0: exciting morning for both of us and our good friend
1: ian trapp who we have met through the podcast and finally uh got to meet ian which was really awesome and he's
0: a real person and he's a real person not some sort of like japanese animated construct <laughs> pop star type guy
1: he's not my canadian girlfriend that i yeah, dated in middle yeah. school but no it was it was awesome it was really cool to finally be able to put a face to the, the name and also the uh, the personality that has built our website and has had great ideas from the start and has helped us scrap together all this crazy data, um, really just helped Nathan scrap together all this crazy data because I uh, I read the data, and I actually put this in a very succinct way at breakfast that I am the pretty personality on air that helps all this become a bit more digestible, and I think that uh, Nathan is the, the driving force behind the data. I read it, and I rein him in when he may get on... No, Mm
0: -hmm. his soapbox, so to Mm -hmm. speak, which is just to tie back into the two minute drills, which is why I like the two minute (laughs) drills so much, because there's no one there to stop me. (laughs) And just for the record, I do want to correct my earlier Japanese pop star reference. Hatsumi Miku is actually a hologram and not a robot, but whatever. Oh, Um, I get that reference now. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Um, Yeah, I really I also usually we go back and forth on these, but I do want to interject like. We cannot give Ian a big enough shout out on air. He was such a delightful person to meet. I saw him again in the stadium, and he has just done. So, I fed him
1: drinks. It was great. Yeah, the I amount fed him of all the beers. Good.
0: He deserves <laughs> it because the amount of the work that, that guy has done for no money. Just to be clear, it's you know, just as much work as we put into this as well. A- a- absolutely, was, yeah. and he gets stuff out so quickly in terms of graphics and uh, the website. And he started to do some more graphical stuff for us. And he did both of our uh, logos. Mm-hmm. He's come up with some merchandising ideas he's really helped us with business planning and we just cannot thank him enough and so we were so happy to see him this weekend yeah
1: it was it was really really awesome so if this would be where we would plug anything ian does but i'm not sure he has anything that we could plug necessarily but (laughs) when he
0: does when he does we will we will shill that thing to a degree that is disgusting just (laughs) let me tell you you think that we're in your twitter timeline now just wait just you wait yeah um so
1: yeah that's how we started our days and um then you reported it at one, I do
0: believe. Mm-hmm. How was uh, how was dog walk and everything? Well, it was very hot. Yes, and I got high blood. I have high blood pressure, not to overshare, and I got dehydrated and spiked my blood pressure. So that was not like a really super great way to start the day. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where the way that the red schedule schedules worked out this year, and just sort of the way that we've gotten some lucky breaks with weather, it has really not been hot at practice that yeah. much. And we got over there at one and it was just really hot. And we had people just like passing out and not like, you know, wearing shorts, not wearing a band uniform, wearing shorts and a T-shirt. So that was and I wasn't even marching and that was pretty rough on me. So but once we got through the day was really awesome. You know, we got over to Sanford and when the way that the Redcoats, the way the process for the Redcoats Day works is they take UGA buses from the IM fields over to the back side of Sanford. Um, so, we're like where the player gates are, and back there on um, what is it, East Campus Road. Yeah. And so we go in down through that really steep tunnel, and we come out in the corner. I would say, like on the alumni side, across or down from where the battle hymn solist on the opposite corner of the alumni side from the battle hymn solist down mm-hmm. in there, um, where the team comes out uh, when they come back after halftime. So we come out in there. And there's always just a little more excitement for me when I come out and I see the cable cam mm-hmm. and I see the ESPN setup. Something that we have to deal with a lot in coats is just hurting people and getting them so that we're not interfering with anything that's going on production-wise. Uh-huh. And whenever we have an ESPN game or a CBS game, there's so many more cameras. Oh, yeah. So even just from the get-go, the first minute we walked into the stadium like five hours before kick or whatever, or three, I guess, there was a little bit of extra juice for me. And I, you know... I'd already seen a lot of Mississippi State fans, so I was very excited going in. Um, had a really good, really really good Sousa show. Go see the Sousas play. They're up there on the Tate Bridge about uh, three hours before kickoff. Mm-hmm. Had a very good dog walk. Went in, and I, dude, I cannot, I cannot tell you enough how great the crowd was. Just involved and loud and just like, head ear-splittingly, head-hurting, throbbingly loud. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially after that first offensive play. Just, I was really impressed by how involved the students were and how consistent they were. And actually, my favorite moment of the night, experience-wise, was when DeAndre Swift got that fumble called, uh, the fumble uh, upheld or whatever. Mm -hmm. The the student section just booed for, in real time, like, maybe 15 minutes. (laughs) It kind of comes through on the TV. Yeah. But, like, in... It was really hilarious because, I mean, it wasn't hilarious because we had a turnover, but it was hilarious because Mississippi State Mississippi State got the ball back and just, like, their next eight offensive plays, instead of just, like, the normal, like, oh, that you hear in the background, it mm. was just, like, boo, you suck, boo, just for for in real time because of all the, the commercials. It was, like, just 15 minutes of solid, just, like, people screaming obscenities and yelling boo, and it was really awesome. Um, and then, you know... I'm sh- we've talked about this before uh-huh. uh, today, but there was certainly a sense of um, unreality to it. Yeah, Georgia fans don't deal with uh, success. success well, <laughs> uh, and I tweeted that by the way, and Bill Connolly replied to me and said they don't deal with failure well either. And my life is complete. Stats got Bill Connolly. It was there was kind of a sense where, uh, and I think part of the reason that the crowd was so into it was that even when we got up by twenty one, it's hard to trust it. You know, as oh, a Georgia yeah, fan yeah. who's had the experiences that we've had. And it was really interesting that the crowd stayed so involved for so long. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of the game, it was it was pretty, just experientially, for me as a person, it was, it was a very good moment to see people leaving Sanford in an SEC game and be like, they you know, happy. that's fine. Yeah. Like, I'm not angry that okay they are leaving. Me. That's fine. You, you go ahead and leave, buddy.
1: No, it was, it was so good. I remember you were talking about the booing, and I could actually hear it over the radio for the first half. Uh, and, and the booing part, they, they did, you could hear them booing that entire time
0: okay hold on i I do i have to say one more thing about the experience and i only noticed this on the replay mississippi state brought a pep band and they sounded very good and the redcoats brought their a game and they also sounded very good espn i'm very appreciative that you mic the bands and you pipe them into the background crowd noise please turn one of them off all night long it was not the ambient sound i could tell It was not the ambient sound coming in. All night long, they were playing, the Redcoats playing over Mississippi State's band. And because both of the bands are going to play at the same time, that's Mm -hmm. fine. It's just you can't pipe both of them into the audio track at the same time. Like, switch it back and forth, man. Because it was like, I could hear, like, snatches of Glory and then snatches of, like, Night on Bald Mountain, which is what they were playing. And then snatches of Choker, which is, like, our big third down cheer. Also for the un, for the uninformed Georgia fan, I just want you to know that the um, the third down cheer that the Redcoats always play is actually a Catholic death mass. <laughs> it's called the Dies Irae. It's pulled from Berlioz Symphony Fantastique, among other things. Um, so you know, we, we're metal is all I'm saying. <laughs> Very um, brutal. We're brutal. Yeah. We're, we're like Pantera, basically. So let's talk about some stats. Yeah. You gotta. This was obviously.
1: I don't know. I mean, hold oh, on. before you get too deep into stats, I will throw in um, concerning my experiential. Yeah, yeah. bit uh i did i i joined nathan on the hashtag content train and i put out an initial thoughts uh text post nathan and i's our voices are definitely different and you can tell that from the get-go i will say uh i had a lot of fun writing it and it was all completely live i know nathan has a job to do while the game is going on so his is all kind of he's had time to think about it and digest it and he puts everything in that later but
0: mm-hmm.
1: um mine was completely live with ryan clark uh one of our biggest fans but that's all you know self-admitted on his own part it was kind of a mix of he and i i feel most likely and just us giggling on the couch the the rest of the night because i felt hope and happiness and good things and i wasn't angry at all during the game and that was that was a nice thing but uh go read that text post it was a lot of fun to write and i think you'll enjoy it too
0: I think that's a really good example of sort of our ethos in terms of what we want to do, which is that we want to meld all of these really out there stats that at first brush seem sort of um, obtuse and academic and just in general too erudite for public consumption. We want to meld those to the experience that the everyday fan has because um, I know, I think, and I think you do as well that these are things that can help us be better fans, help Absolutely. us predict things better, help us understand things better, help us not scream, run the damn ball yeah. uh, better. So, before we get into stats, we, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I can't imagine that you haven't watched the game. Yeah. Um, I want to. We always talk about narratives here, but I want to talk about something a little bit different. Um, that we haven't done to this point, but I think, you know, we're four games into the season. We're a quarter of the way through. And so here's my question to you. And, you know, I also have thoughts on this. What does the first quarter of the season, and in particular, what does this Mississippi State game tell us about where we are as a program? So here, here's what I would posit, is that um, Kirby Smart's brought in to bring Obstensibly the national narrative and even i've heard this from stats god bill Connolly, god bless him and this is something i disagree with him, <laughs> him on but whatever um the national narrative i think a lot of times has been like why get rid of a coach who wins nine or ten wins yeah uh, who has nine or ten wins a year and is occasionally to get you to the sec championship and you know the national narrative is just and this is true that statistically most coaches don't take their teams to consistent national championships and that you know somehow georgia was um beguiled by nick saban and his success, which is also, to some extent, I think true. Sure. But I would think, I think this four-game stretch shows us something that we have not seen in some time. And what I would say is that it represents um, a move forward in the stability of our program. And I would say just sort of the foundational strength of our program. And I do not necessarily mean that on the field. And I think this is something that's outside of wins and losses. So if you think about... What are the qualities of a Nick Saban team? What are the things that Nick Saban teams do that make them so successful? There's kind of two things, right? The one thing is, and this is something that is obvious, is they just have better players. Yes. Right? Nick Saban teams have 10 five stars for every one five star that you have. Right. And that's something that uh, Kirby has been very good at doing in the the past two years and is kind of ramping up even now to do it again, even better this next year. So that's something we already kind of knew. But I think what this fourth, what these first, first four games have taught me is that Kirby is getting better and this coaching staff are getting better at doing the other thing that Nick Saban teams are known for, which is they just are out. They out prepare everyone. Right. You know, I have yet to see a play this year and you can correct me if I'm wrong where our defense looked like they didn't know what they needed to do. There have been coverage busts, there have been completions, there have been touchdowns scored, but I have yet to see a play where our defense looked befuddled. I have yet to see a play where our offense, even if they lost yardage, even if they got stuffed, even if there was a sack or a turnover, I've yet to, say, I've yet to see a play where our offense didn't at least have some kind of direction behind it. And that's something that Nick Saban teams have always done. And I'm not saying that we are the next Alabama. No. but i do think if i take anything away from these first four games it's that uga as a program we are learning how to deal with success right we have three really big wins even the samford win taking <laughs> care of a bad opponent was a big win
1: it was a big win still yeah
0: yeah we have three really big wins and we're coming into a highly ranked opponent and you know it's going to be a night game and everything was set up perfectly for us to just have a really disappointing crappy game where Nick Fitzgerald gets seven yards of carry and we look unprepared and we look like we can't handle the quarterback run and we look like we can't handle the wheel route and we didn't mm-hmm. to me that's not just indicative of the fact that we had better players which we did and we can talk about that more later mm-hmm. but but I think that really represents something we out coached them yeah. fundamentally we out them we had an answer for every question they asked that's kind of been true for the first three games, especially defensively. And when was the last time you could say that about a, a Georgia team for four games in a row? I mean, yeah, for real. It's been quite some time. I and and it's and the answer to that, I think, is like before I was a Georgia fan because I looked mm-hmm. this up. I really don't know if we've had four games in a row where we looked this competent on defense since two thousand two.
1: Ooh, it has right? been a while. Yeah, because.
0: Even in two thousand seven, which is probably our best defensive year mm-hmm. in the past our best defensive year in this millennia, even in two thousand seven, the first quarter of the season, we were not good. No. Right? They kinda of figured it out halfway through the season. Anyway, that's that's just something that I'm thinking. So I'm, I'm wondering like what's just getting that live, what's your reaction to that? What what's your what are your thoughts about that? No, it's it's absolutely sort true. Sort of the holistic sense of yeah. where we are. It's it's a mentality change and it's something that
1: I think Mark Richt was so good at recruiting. He was so good at building an environment and a safe place to grow these boys into men, essentially. And there's no one that can tell you otherwise that that isn't true. He was very good at that, which is part of the job. Uh, But in Kirby Smart and this new team, we have the full package. And it shows completely. We're showing we are completely prepared for anything and everything that comes to us. And we play not just the actual athletic game, which we're fantastic. Our conditioning is, is outperforming every other team that we've even played, but we are playing a mental game. We're playing it well and we're outcoaching opponents. It's something that hasn't happened in so long. Like you could tell there was definitely just a mismatch. It was, it was a total mismatch when we would play all these bigger teams, even though we had the same talent. Sometimes we'd get lucky and our talent would outperform the other talent. Absolutely. But when it came down to it, if you have the same pieces... It's how you use those pieces that ends up Mm -hmm. sending you to the places you want to go and ends up letting you achieve the goals you set for yourself.
0: We are not Alabama. And if we play Alabama this year, we're probably going to lose to them. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. No. What I'm saying is here's the metaphor. And I don't want to steal my own thunder because this is something I really wanted to save for like a more holistic post, but whatever. The metaphor I would say is that if you think about like Moneyball and baseball, The, um, there's kind of two components of it, and everybody uh-huh. knows one of them, which is you know stats and looking at the way that stats influence wins, right? The second aspect of it, and the aspect that people think about less, is program building, and and what Bill what um, Bill Bean and what Dio Epstein have done at Boston and the Athletics and now at the Cubs is they've made program they've made entire programs of development for. Uh, players from when they are 17 to when they are 30 yeah right they have a holistic approach to how you know their baseball team is going to work and it's something that they're very intentional about and every single every single decision that they make services the fact that they want to win yeah and um will leach is very fond of saying you know that the georgia way is dead but and that's probably true and that's fine <laughs> but ultimately if you want to win it has to be dead yeah feelings don't matter as much and shouldn't matter as much when we're making decisions that cost people millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and it's nice to me to see that we are, and I hate to use this word, but a professional program. Yeah. We're right? playing less emotionally. We're playing more with our heads rather and, than our hearts. And we're making, incredible. we're making, you know, we're not making results oriented decisions. We're not getting rotty. Right. In in, in Magic the Gathering, huh. And in <laughs> professional poker, there's this concept of rotty, which is when you have results oriented thinking, right? You don't, Nick Saban always preaches like it doesn't matter what the score is; it matters that you win every play. And if you win every yeah. play, generally speaking, you're going you're to win the game, yeah. right? And so I think that there's a sign of that of that thinking slowly creeping into this team. I think mm-hmm. the whole uh, chop wood slogan is a very good example of that. Yeah. Also, okay, so I want to pause for a second and just add one more thing, and it's all, it's off topic and it's kind of breaking news. And I just want to say that Bill Connolly just liked one of our tweets. Did you really? Yeah. Which one? Live breaking news. When I said that basically UGA fans just yell at their offensive coordinator. Bill Connolly and was at his computer or on his phone, and he just clicked that. He clicked that heart button. <laughs> and Bill, listen, I know you're never gonna listen to this, but we heart you too, buddy. Our hearts—they're so full of Bill Connolly. It's so full. No, you're, we, you're, you're we like should a,
1: retweet this episode at him and give him the. We def, the I'm definitely going to. Peace, yes. Where we should. Uh,
0: you're gonna have. Bill, bill you're like a mycardial infarction in our hearts like you might kill us but we're, we're keeping you in there for everybody
1: nathan's sweating right now
0: yeah i i've got what looks like the meat sweats and also possibly <laughs> i'm possibly i have a cardiologist uh cardiologist asking about my history of uh medical conditions in about an hour so thank you bill <laughs> incredible uh so yeah let's get on to the statsy stuff let's yeah, get to the real good statsy stuff so now that we've done um way too much rash uh irrational thinking Let's give ourselves. Let's sacrifice ourselves on this altar of the Incan gods that is stats. So let's get right into the game box score. Um, Yeah. So let's do. Let's do just like first brush stats. Let's. um, So if we're just looking at the stats report that I have, which is just basically your basic run in the mill, tackles, yards, receptions, touchdowns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything to you that just really pops at you when you're looking at just the general stats?
1: Wait, what is this rank over here? Oh, that's special teams. Our special teams rank is number one, Nathan. God, <laughs> swoons. We have two single digit ranks on S&P Plus right now.
0: I know. Defensive and special teams. God bless.
1: Uh, offensive has some
0: room to grow. That's okay, you know? That's that's totally fine. But, I mean, <laughs> o- but let's be real though. Offensive S&P Plus rank 32. We're in the top quarter, right? You know what we are offensively? We are the student that gets a C minus and is like, yes. Yes. <laughs> Pass, don't have to repeat that credit you yep, know what did i did mean? it yeah I, I failed this math class five times and i just got out of it with a C c minus and you know what to me that's fine with me that's a that's win. better than an a plus that's a w yeah um what else sticks
1: out let's see um i really love that our our first downs are only one more than
0: mississippi state a mm-hmm, team that only scored mm-hmm. a field goal
1: in a, an entire four-quarter game
0: uh um, oh yeah yeah i actually have something to say about that what you got when i looked at my observations tracked by play if mm-hmm. you just flip over to that that sheet and yeah. you look at the down and distance column what i noticed was that i was doing first and tens in terms of like here's plays that i think are important yeah these there's are like important 30 plays. first and tens. yeah we came that's out in, that's an exaggeration game. that's like 10 and 15 and what i think that tells us is mm-hmm. that first downs were not really a stat that mattered in this game for two reasons one we were just throwing deep all the time on first down yeah So a lot of the pivotal plays were we got ahead of the chains early. Mm -hmm. And two, a lot of the things they were doing on first down just weren't working. So even if they were converting downs, it really didn't matter because, like, my, you know, other than one long run that they had, basically the whole night, all Mississippi State could do is if they needed six yards, they could get seven. Yeah. Right? And it's hard, it's really hard to do that consistently because... As we said, going into this game, they are not a very efficient offense, right? When they're not running for six yards a chunk with Nick Fitzgerald, they're not efficient. And that bore itself out. It sure did. So uh, with that, actually, uh, before
1: we go forward, I do want to mention that this stats report is on our website, chapelbellcur.com, And you don't even have to click a damn thing. Excuse my language. You can just scroll right down on our front page and you can find the Mississippi State game breakdown. With that in the past, Nathan, what does that tell us going forward, though, with the first and 10? So if we're that explosive on the first down, then what does that tell us for, for, for the rest of our game, though?
0: Uh, like going forward? Going forward, yeah, in future games. I, I are mean, we in trouble? I, or are we okay? What do you think? I mean, our rushing success rate in terms of just, like, how often we rush successfully, mm-hmm. and this is more on the advanced stat box score if you're watching, if you're following along at home, our rushing success rate is... Um, just mediocre right now, but mm-hmm. our rushing ISO PPP is really good. So, what that tells me is that um, our offensive line still has a lot of room to grow. They've gone from bad to uh, just below average, uh, but our running backs are so freaking good that it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and so, what that means is we might not be able to be super efficient in terms of running. We might get three yards of play when we run on the average play up the middle, mm-hmm. um, but when we do pop off gains, we're going to pop for like 20. Um, and that kind of bore itself out too, uh, in terms of just subjectively, we had a lot of plays where it was like, uh, there, DeAndre Sift gets the ball and now Swift gets the ball and now he's 15 yards down the field <laughs> and now I got tackled and it was just things were happening that fast because our, our running backs are so explosive. So I think, I don't know if I would say that we're screwed, but I would say that that is, that is something that we need to address. We need to get our average first down, you know, rushing down um, average rate up a little bit, in terms of like how many yards are we getting on an average rushing down. But I'd, I'm not sure that that's something that's like crippling, especially if we just have running backs who are just going to make explosive, incredible plays all the damn time.
1: Yeah, because our, our YPC for all of our, our our average YPC across the board is right around five. For yeah, all now the for backs. this game. For yeah, sure. for the, for this game, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so that that kind of levels us out on. I mean, we were all there. We all saw the game. So there were a lot of times when Nick Chubb either got tacked on the backfield or got two yards and then got stopped. But he just popped like a 20 and a 30 and mm-hmm. a 15. And if you do that enough, then your YPC is going to be really good. Yeah. I mean, Nick Chubb had 15 carries for 81 yards, which is good for 5.4 YPC. So the good thing about that is that that level of variance, um, the, the big runs are not pulling up the average that much because there just aren't that many runs, period. So if you saw like... If you mo- doubled that and you said thirty for one sixty and five point four ypc, you might be more worried about the fact that you just have a lot of like two yard runs in there. Yeah. Right. But there weren't enough carries for that kind of like um, smoothing out of the data to happen. Uh, let's talk about the defense for a second. Let's. Let's let's, let's, <laughs> let's just, talk about this good good defense. Yeah. Let's just let's just settle down. Let's put on a Whew. record. Let's put on a record that we like, and let's just like grind up a little bit of this defense and just. <laughs> Put it in our bodies in all general amount of ways while we listen to uh, Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. <laughs> so, okay. That was a solid analogy. Let's just take in a moment of silence. I'm just
1: kidding. Yeah, so your your boyfriend, Roquan Smith, yes. is once again a grown man. I don't think I'm making this up when I say I don't feel like we
0: missed a tackle. And I don't, I'm not sure that we missed an open field tackle. No, there was not an open field tackle that we missed whatsoever. Every time they caught it, even when they had a big gain, it was like catch tackle right there yeah and there were you know there was one run where um aris williams kind of broke loose and we were trying to get the ball out and he got Mm -hmm. an extra 10 or 15 yards so that was probably um probably the worst of the day although i will say he ran uh, for 24 yards the entire day yeah i know (laughs) and also i will say that uh kirby smart at his press conference today uh someone said it was towards the end of the press conference and someone said um are you happy with the way this team's tackling coming off maybe the most impressive defensive performance by this school in 15 years? He says no and walks away. Ends the press conference with no. Just no, I'm not. God, hashtag my coach. Yeah, he's incredible.
1: Um, Yeah, Roquan Smith was absolutely incredible. I, that's the thing. Like I was sitting there after my initial thoughts and I was trying to pick somebody that I felt was the MVP, but there isn't one
0: i mean i i think i think the it's weird to say this but i think the uh, the mvp for me is jr reed um six and a half tackles half a tackle for loss three passes defensed 3.5 havoc rate this guy was just making plays if you have that many tackles but also you have three passes defensed Mm -hmm. even without any advanced stats like that's a great day he caused that interception by dominic sanders Mm -hmm. he popped it out and he was just all over the place he is Sort of your typical rover nickel defensive back that also can play safety. And it's a really impressive guy. And God bless. Did, this guy is only a sophomore. He's yeah. a redshirt sophomore. So I think he has at least one more year of eligibility left. He does. That's yeah. crazy. I want to see that. One thing I want to point out on the events uh, score sheet. Let's let's look at the success rate by quarters for offense. Okay? okay. I think the national average is somewhere right around like 35 or something. So success rate for you uh, for Mississippi State by quarter. 29, 35, 35 nine 36 30 so we were already ahead and i this is one of those times where we were talking about earlier about how advanced stats sort of make you a better stats fan so if you Mm. if you apply that success rate to what you already know about this game right we're up by 14 we come back in the third quarter what happens in the third quarter we just kill them
1: that was a bad bad quarter for them that we we just
0: we we shot them in the head and walked away and that backs up what we saw in you know these numbers back up what we saw in the game uh the third quarter is where we had the Ozzie Nata touchdown it's mm-hmm. where we had one of the interceptions and we had it's two where, back-to-back interceptions in the yeah, third quarter yeah yeah so it's like that was the end of the road for them yeah. and we can kind of quantify that with numbers and then 36 percent in the quor- uh, the fourth quarter which really I love because that was when we had like the second and third team in a lot of that mm-hmm. and I mean, I think this is as good a time as any to talk about this. But God bless Marty, uh, Monty Rice, and Richard LeCount on that last drive, right? Yeah, for real. That was absolutely incredible.
1: I I could feel just the the energy in the stadium still, even over just the air. Um, I had friends that were there, and you haven't yeah. actually talked to me about this last play, but that I
0: felt sent a message. Yes. That we're not messing around. Their their response to Monty Rice. Monty Rice kept their backup Mississippi State's backup quarterback out of the end zone. Um, on like a second and goal with four seconds left on a run it was a running back actually and the team's reaction to that you would have thought that that was the final play to win the super bowl (laughs) and actually um if you go in and watch i actually have that play queued up on my observations uh by play if you go in and just click on the timestamp, you'll get the youtube um if you watch it a little further you will say you will see kirby smart say the f word several times he was very very jacked up about it any other things you're seeing on the advanced stat that you want to point out? Yeah, um, you said J.R. Reid was, was your favorite player, uh,
1: your MVP for the game. And I was going to add, I felt like DeAndre Baker was at at the very least an honorable mention for that MVP uh, role with uh, his six tackles, just playing the backfield like an absolute monster. He has three plays for Bill Connolly's Havoc Raid, which is my favorite rating. Um, three Havoc plays, which Jared oh, we had know. three and a half, but, uh, those of you that do not know still, uh, Havoc plays are tackles for loss plus passes defended plus forced fumbles. I think it's the silliest name stat and, but it's also my favorite stat just to, it's to also, I, I really enjoy the defense. It's deepest. also the best stat. It's the
0: best stat. It's, it's, it's the best stat.
1: And the fact that we're wrecking right now in just the, the Havoc department, uh, I feel really good about it. I'll give you a real quick actual stat for our Havoc rate because... Our um, our linebackers are tearing it up. We're ranked right at... Our linebackers are ranked 13th. Yes. yes. Our defensive line is making uh, opportunities for our linebackers to make these plays because our linebackers are so freaking athletic. It's absurd. Um, the national average for, for havoc rate is 3.6%, and our linebackers are at 6.3. With yeah. only 12 teams in the entire league ahead of them, so I'm, I'm very happy about that.
0: Yeah. Also, I want to point out something. Um, I think this is a good time to bring this up. It's been very interesting to see the defensive line this year. You know, coming into this season, if you'd asked me who the best player on... U- if I asked you in August who the best player on UGA's team was, who who would you have said?
1: Our best player on UGA's team? Yeah. Nick Chubb.
0: Yeah. Sure. Nick Chubb, right? But if we go through the top five, you're probably going to say Dominic Sanders. Yeah, I would you might Smith, say Smith. Reed, Aaron Davis. Well, see, but that's the thing... In August, you probably wouldn't have. What no, you probably no, no, no. would have said before, uh, for, before Aaron Davis or J.R. Smith was Trent Thompson, yeah, who looked really good. He did. He looked fantastic. He, he really disrupted the pocket. But I think it's been interesting how um, just the raw explosiveness of our linebacking core has kind of uh, neutralized some of our defensive line's prowess. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that's a horrible thing because there's a lot of things that even advanced stats don't show mm-hmm. that our defensive line was doing. Um, John Atkins could not be blocked by their center. No. Trent Thompson... Got into the backfield a lot, but also on run plays. Like, it, there there were quite a few times, and I didn't I didn't point this out in my um, I was really focused on UJ's offense when I did my games op, game observation, so I didn't get this point uh, pointed out. But uh, there were quite a few times where, like, on run plays, Trent Thompson just stood his guy up and stood there. Yeah, and it was like he didn't make the tackle, but what that meant was that like one fifth of the blockers were just not moving, and mm-hmm. suddenly the whole the whole um, line of scrimmage gets reset back flipped off- yeah. right, because of him. And so I think that even though, you know, our defensive line havoc rate is like 117th in the nation, it's not good. It's not telling. But I don't, yeah, I don't think that's really that telling of where we are as a, you know, as a as a defensive unit. I just think that our our, our linebackers are so fast that there are a lot of times that on a normal team, a defensive lineman will make a tackle for a loss. But mm-hmm. on our team, Raquan Smith makes it. There are several times, there were several times and several run stops where Raquan Smith just sort of like, he's so good that he makes it look easy. And what will, what will happen is like at the snap, it looks like he just sort of stands there for a minute and then he just runs to where the ball carrier is and just tackles him naturally mm-hmm. as though like the ball carrier had made a mistake. But that's not what's happening. What's no. happening is that he's so good at diagnosing plays. He just runs, he takes the most direct route a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And that's what happens. Um, I also think someone you mentioned earlier, Aaron Davis. Yeah. Uh, really, really good game. Had mm-hmm. two really, really, really good tackles that basically saved, like cost three and outs on his own. Uh, One other thing I want to point out is that, sorry, yeah, yeah. So looking at success rates on passing down, 64%. A couple of things that that tells me is that, A, Jake Fromm had a really good night. Mm -hmm. B, Jake Fromm had a very explosive night, which is something that, I mean, he was 8 for 12, and like three of his passes were for more than 30 yards, so that makes total sense. But I think if we can continue to get from either quarterback what we got from Jake Fromm, we're going to be very good on offense.
1: We're going to be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. The lack of explosiveness from our running backs, not really the lack of. There were a few very good plays, of course, but... Uh, the lack of consistency. The lack of way. consistent explosiveness is made up by the fact that our passing game was so incredibly efficient.
0: I think now's the time to talk about two things. Yeah. Uh, first thing, I want to, I just want to officially award Justin with his sort of gilded tinfoil hat here. Oh, yes. For his... I have his, more. His... <laughs> His three-week-long theory that uh, – his conspiracy theory that uh, Jim Chaney was holding things back for this for the start of SEC play. Sure enough, and He's I sure – This is was. one of these things that, like, I, I'm not a super talented watcher of games in real time. But this is something I noticed even in real time. I was like, okay, uh, first and ten – Looks like we're going to run up the middle, first play of the game. That's obvious. That's what we should do. Probe the defense. Oh, flea flicker. And then as it got completed, everyone's like, ah, everyone's freaking out. And like in the midst of the celebration, I'm like, Justin. <laughs> Justin, he <laughs> foretold this. I and knew that's coming. The one, that, the one that really got me was the third and one, the, um, the fake... Toss uh, the fake toss sweep to Nada. Mm -hmm. I was like, Justin. (laughs) It was awesome. There was was so so much variability in this offense in terms of formation, in terms of things we hadn't seen before. Putting two running backs in a shotgun set, offset and back from the quarterback, and then having Nick Chubb be the world's most overpaid fullback was oh, absolutely amazing. I, with that in mind, with the conspiracy theory thing in mind, I
1: think that we're still we're still not doing everything we we want to be doing just yet, and we're saving. I think that Kirby Smart has looked at this whole season and he's in a way like forecasted all of his plays for all these games in a way and Jim Chaney as well. But the reason I say that is because we haven't seen as much variability in the rushing game uh, with how deep our talent is with all five of these running backs. We haven't seen them live up to their potential. And then it is of course, because we're only four games into the season and running backs, you put a lot of miles on these guys every game. And so I think that we're going to see a lot more later in the season. And we also kind of have, Knock on wood, uh, a pretty easy go of it until Auburn, I feel. Well, Florida, too, because Nathan, Nathan's tinfoil hat is specifically for the Florida game. And then Auburn. But I think that we're going to see a lot more with those games that um, we haven't shown for most of the season. And we're going to keep this variability up. We're going to keep defenses guessing because that's essentially what won us the game, I feel.
0: Well, yeah, and it's kind of this, like, I hate to I hate to subscribe to your conspiracy theories. But, I mean, it <laughs> kind of makes sense. So, it like, makes sense. Okay. The so numbers you, tell you, though, is Right, thing. right. Well, yeah. and, and really, yeah, we can't quantify this. Because think about it. Like, What does your average, good, professional-style offense do, right? They run, they, run they the set ball. up the pass, and they do play action. Mm-hmm. What had we not done hardly at all to this point in the year? We had not thrown play action mm-hmm. at all. So we basically set up this, like, you know, the normal game plan of run, run, throw play action, suck in their linebackers. We set that up over a four-game-long streak. Yeah. And it's like, what... You know, Jim Chaney is not, like, the second coming of the West Coast offense or whatever. Like, he's not... I'm I'm not even claiming that he's, you know, the best offensive coordinator in the SEC. But I do think this was a very, very smart game plan. And I think it has a little bit to do with what we talked about earlier with being prepared. If you think that Jim Chaney is not a good in-game caller of plays, which I don't think that. But if you do think that, what you have to admit is... They planned to the point where their pre-planned plays got them up 14 to nothing. Yeah. And at that point, it just kind of was over, Mm -hmm. right? Like, because if you think about it, so you come out on the first play of the game, right? You have one play, you take a deep shot. Now you have a whole, you have an entire series planned out if that deep shot doesn't land, but that deep shot lands, right? So your second series is basically your first planned series, right? You have all Mm -hmm. these scripted plays for your second series in the same way you do as you normally would for your first because you hit on the first big one in the first series. Yeah. So that means by the time that Jim Chaney was actually calling plays like live and actually selecting plays on the fly, we were up 14 to nothing and we were in the second quarter. So we have a lot more to know. So yeah, and so it was like, it, you can say that he's not a good play caller all you want because it didn't matter because the plan that they came up with was so good that he could just sort of like it didn't matter. Run, it like a, run it like a clock, right? You yeah. just wind it up and let it go and you're up 14 nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I can kind of, I have champagne problems and so now I can sort of probe and see what's going on. And I would say that You know, even after he was calling plays live, like there were a lot of really good calls. Mm -hmm. Third quarter, the first play, actually, yeah, the first play of the third quarter for us offensively, we come out in tight trips, right? And we, we flip the, the, all the whole trips tight to the wide side, which was the left side. We ran Chubb on a toss sweep to that side that the play didn't work, but it doesn't matter. That is a play we're going to see again. That is a really good play for our offense. If Javon Wims hits that block, and I haven't seen the All-22, but I'm pretty sure this is the case. If Javon Wims hits that block, I'm pretty sure Chubb just takes it for like a 95-yard touchdown there. Um, So I think we're going to see those tight trip sets. I think we're going to see more toss sweeps. I think we're going to see more fake toss sweeps. I think that what we did, and I don't want to um, increase your Zapruder theory film and uh, Zapruder (laughs) film theory any more than I already have, but I think what we just did was we laid the foundation for – Here's what you have to look at on tape to stop for UGA's offense mm-hmm. going forward,
1: which is good. No, go ahead. <laughs> The question on everyone's mind, Nathan, do you think we'll see the flea flicker again?
0: Mm, you know what I actually <laughs> think we might see? <laughs> what? I think we might see like a fake flea flicker. Uh, or oh. might, I think we might see like the second iteration of it, which would be like delay handoff after you fake like the flea flicker action or something or just something weird like that. Okay. Here's the question I thought you were going to ask, and here okay. was the second thing I was going to bring up after your conspiracy theory. So, Jake Fromm, by all accounts, had a very good day. Statistically, yes. he had a very good day. By the eye test, he had a very good day in just about any way you can think about it. Two of his three incompletions were drops, and the other one was when he threw it out of bounds when he should have. Yeah, Pretty much, for a freshman, the ideal game. Mm-hmm. So what There was you... that one... I'm sorry, I totally
1: interrupted you. There was another Terry Godwin throw that... Was pass interference? Was it Terry Godwin? I yeah, think Terry was.
0: Godwin had a where he was pass interfered yeah. with on one of the first and first series, first plays of the second or third. quarter. I think it was a third that? quarter. Yeah, because
1: yeah. he was still perfect. He was eight and eight going into the third quarter, mm-hmm. and uh, Terry Godwin broke that dude. He was he was gone. Like if he caught that ball, it would have been another touchdown. But good pass interference, if there is such a thing, mm-hmm. from the Mississippi for sure because it was going to be.
0: It was probably going to be a touchdown. It was going to
1: be a touchdown. It was going to be another sixty yard yeah. uh, touchdown. Yeah.
0: So here's the question. What what do you think? What's your reaction to the way he played in terms of what it means for our um, for the quarterback position going forward?
1: I think that this lends to our narrative very well. I think that we've been very cautious with Jacob Eason just in case something did happen with Jake from we were uh, we were allowed to be essentially. So I think that Jacob Eason probably could have come back to practice and he may have already been at practice a few more times than we even know about. I know that we have a lot of people, a lot of eyes on the field, so we that might not be true. But all that being said, I think we've been cautious with Jacob Beeson on purpose to, once again, keep teams guessing. That this is all very intentional. This is a narrative we're building. We're driving the narrative ourselves with every move we make. And further down the season, we're going to become more under the microscope as time goes on. Of course, these are all moves that Kirby Smart and this coaching staff is making to make sure that these teams don't know what they're going to get, I think. But
0: I, I'd agree with that. I'm to
1: answer your question about Jacob Easing, I have no idea what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> here's, here's what I would caution people. I don't either, and yeah. I don't think anybody does. Anyone no. who anyone who claims to know is stupid. Yeah. I mean, unless it's like a beat writer who's gone to the practices and is just giving you an informed opinion. Anyone else who is not a beat writer and who has not been at the practices cannot tell you anything, which is always true, but in this instance is really true. <laughs> it's hard to even read the tea leaves on something like yeah. this. But here's what I would caution. When Jake Fromm started, and when he started to get good, everybody said, listen, Kirby doesn't care about the narratives, he doesn't care about the stories, he doesn't care about seniority, he's going to play the best player. Yeah. And that was sort of used as an argument for, okay, this is why Jake Fromm is going to play. Yeah. Right? Well, I think now that that's kind of come full circle, and that's what I would caution you with if you are a Jake Fromm person. Kirby Smart doesn't care that Jake Fromm's the hometown kid. No. He doesn't care that Jake Fromm is good looking or that he's a good leader or that, you know, he leads the offense well in terms of just like in the huddle and he hypes guys up. Jake, Kirby Smart doesn't care about any of that. No. And if you think he does, you don't know Kirby Smart. Because no. what Kirby Smart wants is those W's, son. And what Kirby <laughs> Smart is going to do is start the guy that he thinks will win him the most games. Yeah. And if that guy is a Yankee from Washington, like some people seem to think, Kirby Smart doesn't care. Right, and I, what I I just I would really caution everyone to resist this whole narrative, like, you know, we went from uh to start because he's got the intangibles and he's a Georgia boy and he'll lead us to victory, blah blah blah. blah. That crap don't matter, Chris no. Smart. What whoever practices the best, whoever gives him the best chance to win, he'll play. And I don't think Jake Simmons is going to be available for this week. But I think if he were, I think they'd start him, and even if the found base and and if he had a bad couple of series, I think they'd still let him play because. Yeah. They're going to go with the guy that will let them win because that's what they care about. Mm-hmm. And God bless them for it. Can this be like hashtag Team Jake? Yeah. Because they're both Jake. I think it's like hashtag, hashtag Team Jace a combination <laughs> of their names. And That's pretty get, good.
1: And then you get the like Magic the Gathering people on. on we need board their ship name, yeah. So, so this weekend was a big weekend in, in a lot for a lot of reasons. Last week we did talk about the SEC East. Just a quick snapshot of how everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. Was there anything notable that you saw that either supported claims we
0: made or any outcomes that we expected, or well, anything notable for the rest of the season in your eyes? Um, I think Florida's just utterly average, which yep. is what we said before. Um, I think we already said Missouri's bad. Missouri's real bad. I think we said that Tennessee is playing on the margins that it will come back to bite them. I did not think that that meant they would almost lose to UMass, but there it is. I actually think we did really well in our predictions last week. I think um, so too. I think my final predict- score prediction was 27-21 UGA, which is off on Mississippi State's score. But if you mm-hmm. think about it, that's basically, this, that's basically what would have happened if UGA just had a good day on defense and not a dominant one. Yeah. I think mine was twenty
1: eight fourteen. Yeah, just because I expected if we were up by and two I, scores, we keep it. And I, and I think,
0: it. and I don't want to pat myself, in the, I do want to pat myself on the back, what am I saying? <laughs> you know, I think what turned out to be the key of the game is, what was, you know, let me even pull it up just so I can officially say it. Nick Fitzgerald's average yards per carry, he had 10 rushes for 47 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, 3.75 line yards per carry, um, and a 40% opportunity rate. Which is decent but way below his yearly average. Yep. Right. Way and I below. said that's what we needed to do. Yep. I said if he gets six or seven yards a time or a carry, we're in, real, we're in trouble. real trouble. Uh and he couldn't. He could not give them easy conversions. Although I will say, one coaching note, third and five, you're driving the ball the best you have on a team that's just whipping you going into the second half. You get third and five from that team's like ten, mm-hmm. right? And you are Dan Mullen. Don't run a quick snap run up the center on UGA's defense, for God's sakes. (laughs) Right? Because, okay, so we're at the end of the second quarter. Yeah. If you look at their rushing success rate, or just their success rate total, they were sitting at 35%. They were running into the teeth of the best part of UGA's defense. Why are you doing that, Dan Mullen? That is a horrible third and five call. And they rushed it, thinking they could get UGA's defense off balance. When had UGA's defense been off balance? The entire game. Not once. What, what did they think was going to happen at that call? Uh, I was actually on the sideline, like from me to you, from mm-hmm. like the farthest out wide out on that call. Cause we were getting ready for the, uh, the band and I was just standing there like in awe of how close these huge human beings were to me. And I was, even in the moment I was just like, what was that? It was the most Four successful choices. drive they have had. And they run like an inside belly draw on it. It's like, what, what's What are you doing? Diary of a Madman, yeah, Not really. for Nathan Lawrence, just Dan, Dan Mullen. And just how how much he wanted that last touchdown. It was so clear on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. It felt so good to deny him that.
1: That felt really good. Only I did pain. like that a lot. That made, pain. Our defense is so deep right now, and I'm so excited. Yeah. It looks so good. I am so into the Kirby Smart era. And this has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter. And Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve, where Nathan spends most of his time just uh, posting, posting, posting. Um, also, go check out our new website, chapelbellcurve.com. We also, we mentioned it earlier in this episode, have an anchor.fm uh, site now that you can actually find by going to our website. Uh, our good friend Ian has made us a button, it seems, or is in the midst of making us a button right now. So by the time you hear this, there might just be a button for you to go hear all of our two-minute drills.
0: He is, He is, I think, literally, actually, as we speak... Making that song. button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but
1: yeah, so our, our website is a huge hub for all of our content, blog posts, episodes. It has a Twitter feed, just about anything we find relevant throughout the week. Uh, it has all of our stat sheets as well, so you can follow along in all of your favorite episodes. And if you like today's episode, you can leave us a rating and a review, which is super important because we're coming up on what Apple Podcasts calls the the eight-week new period, kind of your probationary period as a podcast. And after eight weeks, you are no longer in their eyes considered new. And uh if we have any chance of getting onto the new and noteworthy, it's going to be through all of you listening.
0: Also, we have a new iTunes review.
1: We do? Yeah.
0: You want to read it? Yeah, I do. I do want to read it. Here, let me pull it up real quick. So, um, we now have 12 five star ratings from all of you good people. Thank you. And we got a new review from um, BRJ Kaiser. It says, great show with a unique take, and it says, I have a lot of podcasts on various subjects that I attempt to listen to each week and often find I don't have enough time to get all, get to them all. However, this show was so good, it forced me to add it to my schedule. I enjoy how the show is able to combine smart, stat-driven analysis with traditional football insights and fandom. It's interesting, fun, and it helps me feel more prepared to have an intelligent conversation regarding the best team in college football. This show is an absolute must-listen. Go dogs! That makes me
1: feel really good. That makes me feel good.
0: Yeah. Thank you, BJR brj kaiser a person who i would point out full disclosure i don't know so that's we not, don't know well, that's not one of my family members this time
1: <laughs> i really have loved all of the, the different people who have said something along the lines of i've added this to my normal rotation of podcasts or this is a must listen or uh the article on espionation we read that said the same thing so we, uh, I think I mentioned it before in our Samford abridged review that you're making two almost middle-aged men's dreams come true.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I just, I do want to rebut that real quick. I'm 29. Calm down. We're almost middle-aged. Yeah, but I, I want to live past 60. Sure. I'm okay, saying we're so, closer to middle age than we are to being born. Okay, that's fine. But like, call <laughs> me when I'm 35. <laughs> that's fine. And tell me I'm almost middle-aged. Okay, fine. Please. Never mind. I'll never say it again. What, uh, look, we can make it depressing. We can say two men at the twilight years of their 20s. That's equally depressing. That's that's worse, I think. Yeah, it is, but I de- I don't like that. Nathan has a great
1: way of making things sound really beautiful and eloquent and then also making them sound just demeaning and like there is no
0: hope. You should have really seen me when I was at when I was in band. Good god. It was just like, it was like a, everything around me was just like a heap of broken images. It was like, Hey, you Florida fan, come here. I'm going to blow you up.
1: I also want to make a a note that Nathan is going to be the officiant of our wedding. So we have that joy to look forward to. (laughs) And we are not recording that one. Thank (laughs) God. Uh, But yeah, anyway, uh, as always, you guys can catch us in the classic city until next week. And until then, go dogs. dogs.